Good morning, everyone. Once again, welcome to House of the Lord. And uh, it's always good to see so many faces again. And we bless the Lord who is faithful, who has sustained us thus far. Before we start, let's have a further word of prayer, please. Loving Father, we want to bless you once again this morning. Into your presence, you call us. You call us to come. You call us to come because you want to speak to us. You want to build us up in you. You want to reveal yourself to us. You want us to grow to maturity. Bless you, Lord God Almighty, for you are the master of the house, the head of the body, and the son of righteousness. Our Savior, the Savior of the world, the Lord of Lords and the Lord of our lives, the King of Kings and the King of our lives. We bless you, Lord, and we pray that by the Holy Spirit of the promise, you will lead us this morning because you are the good and great shepherd, the bishop and the overseer of our souls. Humbly we bow before you. Have thy God. Amen. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> well, this morning, uh, I think the way Brother John introduced the service here, I don't think during our catch-up on Friday we discussed in detail the message. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I think the Lord has been leading us from the outset, from the start. Uh, you read that passage from uh, Nahum, chapter 1, verse 6, I scribbled on my notes. Who can stand before his indignation? And who can endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown. The topic this morning, the biblical spirit of judgment, the biblical spirit of judgment. That is a very politically incorrect thing to say in this age. Everywhere you look is don't judge me. The Bible seems to be all about judgment. And the salvation is about sparing us from the judgment to come. And as you know, judgment begins at the house of God. All about judgment. We are going to start to study, yes, Zephaniah chapter 1, and I'm giving you plenty of time to find the book. I'm already on it because I had Nehemiah, but after Nehemiah, you have Habakkuk, and then Zephaniah, tipping you off. And I'm waiting. Okay. 
We are going to read Zephaniah chapter 1 from verse 12 to verse 18. Just a word of warning to you in case you notice a lot of hesitation this morning. During the three months or so of lockdown, I've been uh, teaching quite a lot in French. So I've lost my English. I have to restart again so you notice some shifting between the two languages, maybe. <laughs> but you love English and French. <laughs> Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 12 to 18. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency, who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. Therefore their good shall become booty, and their houses a desolation. They shall build houses, but not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards, but not drink the wine. The wine. Verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasten quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty man shall cry out. The day is a day of wrath. A day of trouble and distress. A day of devastation and desolation. A day of darkness and gloominess. A day of cloud and thick darkness. A day of trumpet and alarm. Against the fortified city and against the high tower. I will bring distress upon men and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like refuse. 18. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. For he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. Amen. Amen. I'm going to give a bit of background and context here. Zephaniah. Zephaniah was a descendant of a godly king, the godly king Hezekiah. He lived and prophesied during the reign of another godly king, Josiah. The general context was a context of widespread idolatry in Judah. Because just a while ago, the northern kingdom of Israel had been under judgment. So there was a judgment impending over Judah. So that's the time where Zephaniah, who was of a royal lineage, Basically, the book of Zephaniah contains dark pictures 
of this imminent judgment on Judah, but also bright glimpses of a glorious distant future under the reign of the Messiah. So he has this idea, this integration, this combination, what I call a telescopic view of the judgment. Judgment in the future, judgment now. I call that severe warnings versus glorious promises. Zephaniah is concerned by Judah's sin, especially, I've said that already, no need to repeat. Zephaniah is convinced that Judah's sin are so great that a, ju a judgment becomes inevitable. Therefore, he wants people who may respond to God's invitation to mercy as well as to the remnant that will survive the impending judgment. The prophet describes a judgment that follows a specific pattern. Judgment upon Judah Judgment upon the surrounding nation, mainly the natural enemies of Judah. Remember, Yaakov Prash used to say, old enemies will always be enemies. Old enemies are modern enemies. It's the same natural enemies of Israel. Doesn't change, but they will be judged as well. And then, there is the final judgment. Judgment on Judah, judgment on surrounding nation, and worldwide final judgment to come. So that's the idea. That's the part in the book of Zephaniah. But the prophet's primary focus is on the final judgment, which is to sweep the whole earth just before history. And because judgment is imminent, Zephaniah urges individuals who are responsive to God to seek righteousness and humility. And he says in chapter 1 verse, in chapter 2 verse 1 to 3, perhaps those people will be sheltered, hidden on the day of the Lord's anger. If they seek God's righteousness, maybe they will be hidden on the day. Brother John mentioned being hidden in that day in the Lord. That's why I'm saying that he almost given you know, the message from start to finish. Let me hide myself in thee. But the name Zephaniah itself means Yahweh hides. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yahweh protects. Mm -hmm. Yahweh treasures. Mm -hmm. We hide in him, he protects us, and he treasures us. Mm -hmm. No other escape. Sadly, between the godly king Hezekiah and the king Josiah, there had been the ruling of two evil kings. 
And while I'm there, I'm going to tell you something. Well, one of them was Ammon, and the other one was... We're going to come to that in a, in a minute. I've heard a lot. Hezekiah has been called, not by me, a miracle man. The man who made God to change his mind on something. And people pray like Hezekiah. The man who made God to change his mind. We've got to be careful. Hezekiah received a very bad news that he was going to die. He was a godly man, king. And Hezekiah prayed like no man before. That's why he's a role model for many Christians. He prayed like never before. Lord, I want to live. I want to live. Just a little bit more. I want to live. I've been told that God changed his mind. That's why we want to identify Hezekiah and pray like him. The miracle intercessor. How long did God give him to live? Fifteen years more to live. Yes! Fifteen. During the fifteen years, he had Manasseh. Manasseh came. He wouldn't have come if Hezekiah has obeyed God. And Manasseh corrupted Israel like no one before. A wicked king. Let's be very careful. I can see the beginning. Some of you are sad. I thought Hezekiah was the role model. Careful. Careful. Jesus Christ never told the Father, take this cup away, but not my will, but your will. It's not a weakness. It is dependence on the will of God. Let's be careful with what we call prayer. Well, I can give you another element of that, but not for today. Because it will divert me from the flow of what is going on here. Let's be very, very careful to make God change in his mind. This Zephaniah, who was uh, of a family descendant, became a preacher of righteousness. It doesn't matter who we are. Everybody gets of God. Well, I'm reminded to remind you this story. You see, some people think, uh, you know, God is for... The outcasts, the nobodies. No. King David. In this very country, we know top first world class scientists who believe in God. Don't want to talk about Isaac Newton because it can become very confusing. Isaac Newton, Isaac Watt, John Newton. <laughs> Uh, 
Let me tell you this story. There was a wealthy man, he had very good plans for his son. And he wanted his son to be prepared to inherit his wealth. And to be a very, very successful man in life. But his son kept on failing at universities. He couldn't. His father said, okay, I'm gonna do some carpentry. He failed. Say you're gonna do some learning by doing mechanics. He failed. Oh. Father brought him to a Catholic priest and said, How do I apply to a seminary for my son? He got registered in year one, he failed. His father went to see a pastor and he said this. He said, I've tried everything. My son is good for nothing. The only option I have left is to make him a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> you see, that's the idea people have of the service of God. It's for the good for nothing, it's for the faith. So it's faith everywhere, including carpentry. Oh, you can just make him a pastor. It's faith everywhere. You see, that's the idea people have on those who serve the Lord. Mm. That is not true. That is not true. The old, the young, the rich, the poor, everybody can serve God. What about Solomon? And David? And others? Wrong idea of the service. The judgment was coming upon Judah because of idolatry, but also because of unresponsiveness, because of unbelief, because of impenitence, greed, and the wrong attitude and deed of the prophet and the priest. The prophet was so faithless. The priests were pro profane. They were unfaithful to God, but they claimed to represent the very God they betrayed. The Bible says, they kept a form of godliness but denied its power, mm. which is a key feature of today. Mm. A lot of things are being done in the name of God. An appearance of godliness but deny the power of godliness. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in flesh. There is a denial of that fact. In chapter 1, verse 4 to 6, Judah will be judged for idolatry, for worshipping Baal, for worshipping star, it's called star worship, for worshipping Milgon, who was a god of the Ammonites. These are the people who are supposed to lead the people of God. You wonder, why is the people of God 
always attracted by strange fire. I don't understand. In the days of Ezekiel, the same the days of Jeremiah, in fact, um, Zephaniah was uh, to some extent a contemporary of Jeremiah. The same problem. God has delivered them. It's the God who brings deliverance, who protects them. But they were always attracted by foreign idolatry. Idols. I don't understand. That is happening, of course, today. When you read this book here, you will notice that at some point, this prophet and this priest, they even wore foreign apparel. Foreign garment. We are called, we are supposed to be clothed of Jesus Christ. The robes of Christ. And to whiten those robes in the blood of the Lamb. But they were wearing foreign clothes. Yet still standing there and teaching the people of God. They completely distort the intended meaning of the law of God. And then encourage people to apostasy. In fact, by their unholy deeds, they encourage apostasy and profane the sanctuary. They have turned back from following the Lord and had not sought the Lord nor inquired of Him. They begin to do their own things. Remember our topic, what we're talking about this morning? The biblical spirit of judgment. Judah, the nations, and the whole world. You don't need to talk to this, I'll read for you. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, we read, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? What? The biblical spirit of judgment. It is biblical, and we have to live with that idea. And the judgment of the body of Christ is going on right now. God is judging his own people. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, reading for you again. Second Peter 3, 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of the ungodly men. Revelation 20:15. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Zephaniah 1.14 The great day of the Lord is near and hastens quickly. Biblical spirit of judgment. Everywhere. And we should be the first to know that. Knowing the terror of God, we seek to persuade. Let's 
go back to Zephaniah and read some. Chapter 1, verse 12. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency, who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. We will spend some time on this verse. Three things. The Lord will search Jerusalem with lamps. Secondly, he will punish the man who settled in complacency. In the context here, complacency means self-satisfaction, self-righteousness. And thirdly, those are the people who say, notice, in their heart, inside their heart, they say the Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. Nothing will happen. John Knox referring to this says, these are the people who say, well, there's no hope in God, therefore we should not fear Him. That's the attitude of heart. It's not seen from outside, but it's happening inside. So, let's look into details, these three things. God will search Jerusalem with lambs, he will punish the men who are settled in complacency. And number three, the people who say in their heart, the Lord is indifferent between good and evil. Basically, that's what it is. Firstly, I will search Jerusalem with lamps. God will search and test us with his word, which is a lamp at our feet and a light to our path or better, which is supposed to be a lamp at our feet and a light at our path. That's the test. The Lord is testing us with his word. How do we respond to his word? What is our attitude to his word? What do we promote? intellectual bookish head knowledge or is he acting and working here transforming us from one degree of glory to another degree of glory God will test Jerusalem with lamps with his words for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged soul pacing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joint and marrow, and he and is a discerner of the thought and intent of the heart. The word is a discerner of the intent of the thought in the heart. No one is hidden before the word. That's the test. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. Remember, I started by talking about by speaking about the word and end with his. Christ is the eternal word. No one is hidden from his sight. Listen carefully this. 
But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The biblical spirit of judgment. Everywhere. We must give an account. Either today or in the future. Better to receive God's judgment today. Comply and obey him. That we may be spared with the judgment to come. The biblical spirit of judgment. Everywhere. So that's the search in Jerusalem with lambs, with the word of God. Secondly, God will punish the men who are settled in complacency. Hmm. N-K-J-V. In this occasion, I prefer K-J-V. Oh, English. <laughs> Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 12 in KJV we read and punish the men that are settled on their knees M-E-E-S I say what kind of word is this? I ask our first daughter what is this? She didn't know I say I'm going to help you what's a drags? what's drags? in English. She said, oh, it's what is left down the cup when I drink hot chocolate. <laughs> I say, okay. For the drunkards, it's what is left at the bottom of the container of wine. Oh, English. Leaves, drags, deposit, sediments, residual. <laughs> oh. What is an Eden? A lid is an unsolvable matter from a liquid that precipitates. There is a sort of law of gravity, you know. As soon as it's free, the first thing to do is to precipitate down at the bottom of the container. It's a deposit. It's a deposit. It's like refuse. It's like it's like waste. It's like rubbish. But it just goes down and settles there and sits down there. You see what the Bible is saying? God will punish those who sit on their knees. It's a stronger word than complacency. Leaves are deposit of dead yeast or residual yeast that precipitate to the bottom of a container of wine after mm, fermentation. Not a good fix. Self-destruction. It's not like leaven. Now, not like the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees or Protean leaven. No. Because leaven is an extra agent you put to affect the matter. But this yeast, this one here, is self-created inside as a result of stagnation. As a result of a static position. Lack of moving. Lack of growth. Stagnation. 
and then it starts developing and it goes down and it sits there. And God will punish those who delight on sitting in their sins because of lack of spiritual growth and obedience. Stagnation is therefore the state of not flowing or moving, a lack of activity and growth. And sometimes it can be, it can be caused by a blockage which stops things from flowing properly. Remember, let me say something here. Leaves are a consequence, I said that already, but this reminds us of the conflict between the word of God and man's traditions and bad habits. Bad habits have taken place and rule and we're sitting on them. And they are in conflict, open conflict sometimes with the word of God. It doesn't matter. I've been doing this for years. That's how we've been doing things. Please. I'm reading for you. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6 to 7, the Lord told the Israelites, You have dwelt long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go. Move it. Move it. The Lord is not in favor of stagnation. The patriarch Abraham went according to the Lord's guidance, moving from one tent to another according to the way God was leading him. Stagnation is not good. That's the way I do it. I do my prayer like this. That's the way I do it. The Lord said, you've been there for so long. Now move. Remember, when the Lord spoke to Moses like that, it was after they had conquered, they had won victories and battles on this side of the Jordan. They become complacent, we've won the battle. I remember one brother in Burundi telling me, he said to me when I was uh, in secondary school, I used to fast a lot and pray a lot. Now I no longer do that. I'm convinced, I'm sure that God is taking from my store, from what I've been doing, He's taking that, those prayers to use them now. Please. When the Lord spoke to Moses, asking him to tell the Israelites to move on because they had been on that mountain for so long, They started interacting with the Moabites, Ammonites, all those ungodly people, and they start imitating them. Oh, we're talking about drugs, we're talking about leaves. Notice that amongst the nations being judged here, Moab was part of it. Now let's turn with me, turn with me to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 48 
and verse 11. Jeremiah chapter 48 and verse 11. Jeremiah chapter 48 and verse 11. Moab has been at ease from his youth. He has settled on his... Aha. So, it comes from Moab. That's the mentality. That's where it's coming from. And has not been emptied from one vessel to another vessel. Nor has he gone into captivity. Therefore, his taste remain in him and his scent has not changed. Mm. Interesting. Moab has been at ease from its youth. He has settled on his dress and has not been emptied from verse to verse. Nor has he gone into captivity. Therefore, his taste remained in him. And his sense has not changed. In contrast to that, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 14 to 15, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are of God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We are God's fragrance. See what's happening with Moab there? Because Moab was sitting on his dress, therefore has not changed his taste and his smell. Bad smell. Unpleasant smell. Because of what? Let's look at that. Because of what? Last sentence. Therefore, as a consequence, because Moab is sitting on his dress, as a consequence, his taste remains in him. And his smell has not changed. Brother John mentioned last week, 1st John chapter 3, verse 9. It's all about the seed of God remaining in us. Without the seed, without the life of Christ, there is no real change. You can read this verse otherwise. The reason why the taste and the smell and pleasant have not changed is because they remain unchanged. This is my way of doing things. Sin, dreads, leaves, deposits, residuals. After fermentation, lack of activity, lack of movement, lack of growth produce this kind of thing. We are supposed to diffuse around us the fragrance of God, the good aroma of Christ, of the risen one, of the forgiven people, of the transform. Question. Question. As Christians, 
what fragrance do we diffuse around us, whether in the church, in our family, or in the wider society? The answer to this question depends on whether or not the seed of God remains in us. Bad smell. Bad taste. You know, some people have been Christian for 25, but it's always the taste of sin. The smell is always of gossip, division, bad smell, conflict, problems. What smell are we diffusing in the church and in our family, with our spouses, children, wider society? The Bible said we're supposed to diffuse God's fragrance, mm. not the Moab's mm. bad sense. Mm. Why? Because of sitting on tracks. Mm. This is quite serious. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 12. God will punish us. God is not happy with that. Wake up and walk and go. You have been there for so long time. This is my way of doing things. God had more plan. And he revealed to Moses to tell the children of Israel, Go! The other side of other mountains. Do this, do that, do this, do that. There is the land I've given you there. This is a small victory. Move on! Sin is the problem. We are called to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, but we are called to be with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and to be transformed into more Christ-likeness from one degree of glory to another by the Spirit of God. We, with an unveiled face, we are reflect, reflecting, like in a mirror, the glory of God. So you are the mirror through which people who cannot see God can look at you and say there is a different way of living which only God can do. You are the reflection of the glory of God. That's number one and number two. And then we are transformed daily into that image of the glory of God. On a daily bed from one degree of glory to another degree. Moving on, that's what we're talking about here. Not stagnant. Moving. Growing into Christ-likeness. Why do you think there's no fear of God? The answer? Psalm 55 verse 19. Because they do not change, therefore they do not fear God. In other versions, because they remain unchanged, therefore 
there's no fear. So you're looking at the symptom, there's no fear of God, there's no reverence, there's no, but there's no change. The saint of the master does not abide in them. There's no fear of the Lord. Everyone is doing everything they want to do. Everyone set his own rule. Everyone create his own God, his own mind. It's okay. Psalm 55, 19. Because they remain unchanged, therefore they do not fear God. Thirdly, those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor do evil. English is very good. English is very, very good. These are people who are not only settling, you know, settling is not sitting. No. Settling is establishing, is really a very stable position. Settling. You know, someone comes and starts a new job. After three months, you come and you ask him, are you settling where? He's been there for three months. Mm -hmm. Settling on sin, on drugs, that's quite serious. These are people who sit happily on their seat. They are indifferent to God and think God will leave them alone at some point. No. God will punish sin. Mm -hmm. There is a link between judgment. Now, some people may feel nervous about just talk about the love of God. God is good. Well, I'm talking about the love of God. Just talk about the coming of Christ. The Bible says, He who has that hope in him purifies himself. There is a link between waiting Christ. On your ways, O oh Lord. On the way of your judgment, O oh Lord, we have waited you. Isaiah 26, verse 8. So we wait in God on the ways of his judgment. Because when his judgment are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. Yes. <clears throat> it's coming. But we are waiting for him on the ways of his judgment. Knowing the terror of God, we seek to persuade him. Mm -hmm. These complacent people say what? The Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. Wow, the Lord is good, he's so merciful, he won't do anything. He knows I'm very weak. I'm like a flower that rises in the morning and fades in the evening. Those know that he won't do anything and they spread that false doctrine. Grace, 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 grace. <laughs> Is the Lord neutral between good and evil? No. Mm. The Lord is biased. Mm. He's biased. The difference between a difference between impartiality, fairness and neutrality. When it comes to sin, God is not neutral, and we should be. 
have to take side. You know what? The Lord said, I put in front of you two ways, life and death, but I suggest choose. That's bias. It's so loving. It's tipping us off. We can sit there on the fence of worldliness and say, let be tolerant. That's something else. God is not tolerant of sin at all. Are we talking about the coming of Christ? Yes. What did Christ himself say about that? As it was in the days of Noah, Luke 27, 17, sorry. As it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the day of Lord, so shall it be in the days of his coming. So you see, his coming is always a link with something to do with judgment. And we should be the first to know that. And to uphold God's reverence in his house. For when the foundations are destroyed, worship. Moving to the end now. We are called to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. One sin, not ten. One. That particular stumbling block is what God wants to put his finger on. Not ten. Don't forgive me because I've done. No. That one. That dread. What God wants to put his finger on There was a brother in Christ. He was a professional liar in Christ. Professional liar. And whenever he repented, he will come up with a long list of the things, the problem he sees in people's life, but he never mentioned lie. The sin that ensnares us so easily, that's the one God wants to put his finger and deliver us from. Mm. Not ten, not five, that one, which you know yourself and I know myself. We are called to run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Remember, we've been talking about the biblical spirit of judgment. Judgment begins at the house of the Lord, and it is currently happening in the body of Christ. Judgment is coming, and the Lord is coming too. Those who have this hope in them, in the Lord, purify themselves, just as he is himself pure. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. In the way of his judgment, we wait for him, and the desire of our soul is for his name. When his judgment are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. Zephaniah encourages the remnants to seek righteousness and humility in order to be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. The great day of the Lord is near and hastens quickly. But remember, he's still working on us. But there has to be progress. You want to be happy if you are building a house and it's not 
developing. Mm. I think it's the book of Hebrews speaking of not putting the same foundation all the time, all the time the same foundation. That won't make sense. Foundation, roof, it has to be that progress. Mm. As God is building up his habitation, his dwelling place in spirit. Mm. The biblical spirit of judgment. Thank you for your patience and prayer. Mm. Lord God Almighty, we bless your name, Lord. Yes, you're still working on us to make us what we ought to be. You are so loving and patient, for you're still working on us. But Lord, we want to be obedient, Lord God Almighty. Help us, Lord, to be available and willing to receive your counsel in your direction, to be of those who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for my brother and my sister here. And we pray that, Lord God Almighty, by the Spirit of God, you will continue to transform us, that we may pass from one level, one degree of glory to another, until we see Christ as He is, and we are fully made in His likeness. Oh Lord God, build your church. Yes. Oh Lord, build your congregation. Build our life. You are the rock of salvation. Yes. In you we put our trust. Mm. Our desire is in you, oh Lord. In your ways, oh Lord. In the ways of your judgment, we wait for you, Lord. Teach us your ways. Increase in our hearts the fear of the Lord. Remove complacency, deceitfulness, negligence, oh Lord. But Lord, the transformation will only come by your Spirit. Mm, yes. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, it's not his. Yes. Therefore we pray, Lord, for the genuineness of faith, mm, yes. for your salvation, for your baptism in the Holy Spirit, for a genuine, deep and thorough transformation yes. unto your glory. Yes. Build up your church, Lord, we pray. Mm. In this last of last days, yeah. we want to follow you. Mm. We are so weak. Yes. Help us, Lord, we pray. Yes. All this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our blessed Savior and Redeemer. Amen. Amen.